0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. All right, I want to get into the word this morning. I'm excited to get into the word. It was very hard for me to try to keep my voice. I I wake up in the mornings and it's all there. You ought to hear me singing in the shower, man, I can really belt it out. And then I get here and you start talking with people and greeting people and then you step into worship and you want to participate and then you realize, oh my gosh, I'm out of gas. So I'm going to try to muster up what I have here and and use it to get into the Word together because I'm really looking forward to some great things this morning. If you're taking notes, I want to give you a few things that we're going to find. Just things to look for, things to anticipate. Number one, one of the things we're going to find is how to get the light of life. You ever heard of the light of life before? I mean, really, it sounds like something from some movie or something like that. It sounds like a jewel or something along those lines. It's in the Bible. Jesus talks about it. He calls it the light of life, and he gives us instruction how to get it. Now, if you're like me, you don't really have to know what that is to know, I think I want that. I don't know what the light of life is, but I think it's something that I want. Sounds pretty awesome. How to get the light of life. Another thing we're going to find is what needs to stay clean. What needs to stay clean? Well, if you've ever come to my home, you can tell there's a lot of things. I've got two 8-year-old boys that can tear up a house in 10 minutes flat. I mean, they get home from school, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, how come there's more clothing than you wore to school this morning on the floor right now? I don't understand how this is physically possible But it happens. So there's something, though, that we need to make sure stays clean, each one of us. And we're going to find out what that is, what needs to stay clean. And then a third thing we're going to find is what's good for your heart. What's good for your heart? And we're not talking Cheerios, whole grain oats. We're not talking that. Something that is good for your heart. So let's get right in. I want to find out about the light of life. It's intriguing. I don't even have to know what it is to know I want it. Jesus talked about it. Let's get into the scripture. If you're taking notes, write down John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. Now, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus is speaking and he's revealing something. He's revealing something that's very worth making note of. We're going to see him uh, take this, and this has a slight change to it down the line. Not that it's inconsistent, but it develops into something. Jesus is communicating the beginning of a process. Now, the end of that process is me and you. We're going to see that in just a moment. But John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them. Now, if he's speaking to them, who's he talking to? He's he's speaking to us. Yeah, he's talking to the people that are there to listen. And if you're like me, you came here wanting to listen to Jesus this morning. That's why we're opening up the scripture and reviewing his words to us. So Jesus began to speak to them. Again, that's me and you. And he said, I am the light of the world. I want to pause there for a second. Jesus stands and says, I am the light of the world. So who's the light of the world? Yeah, it's pretty easy. Not a trick question. I'm the light of the world. Jesus is speaking that. And he goes on to say this. He who follows me. Will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this is a really amazing thing. I think you could probably take this one passage and open up conversation, and we could be here till supper time, just sharing our thoughts on what the light of life must be, how great it must be, how perfect it must be. But Jesus is not only just Throwing this out there for people to catch, to be intrigued by, to to have a hunger or an appetite created inside of them to pursue something great. He's also giving them instruction in how to achieve it, how to accomplish it, how to obtain it. He says, whoever follows me will receive or obtain the light of life. Following Jesus opens up such wonderful opportunities in every aspect of our living. Now, we've simplified things. Often, as we've read through the Scripture, we've looked at things like blessing and cursing. Blessing is doing it God's way. Cursing is doing it any other way. And we see here that Jesus is guaranteeing light in any situation when we commit our lives to following Him. That means doing it His way. If you're following someone, I mean, you don't have to answer out loud. If you want to, you're welcome to. But if you're following someone, where are they? they in front of you. This is about putting Jesus ahead of everything in your life. It's about putting Jesus out in front. And it's about doing it the way that He does it. Turning our eyes to Him, seeing in the Scripture His instruction, and seeing to it that we apply His instruction and His example to our actions. And in doing so, His promises, we will have the light of life. Now, He says something else here in just another chapter, in John chapter 9, verse 5. He says, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. While I'm in the world, Jesus talking, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. What a wonderful thing to consider. As long as Jesus is in the world, that is. So Jesus Christ now has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and He's poured out His Spirit upon the earth. This makes for a pretty... Amazing transformation. A process that was set in motion is coming to fulfillment. Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, there will be light. And then Jesus ascends into the heavens, pours out His Spirit, and something has changed now. I want you to catch this. You can write it down for your notes. Matthew chapter 5. I want to read verses 14 through 16. Jesus declares that He's the light of the world. As long as He's in the world, He's the light of the world. Now in John chapter 5, Jesus is saying something that's hardly a contradiction. Rather, it's a fulfillment. John chapter 5 verse 14 begins like this. You, who? Who is you? Yes, you. You are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill that can't be hidden. Nobody lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. But they put it on a lampstand so that it gives light to all of those that are in the house. And then Jesus goes on to say this, and there's something here that I really think it's important for us to catch. It's an instruction. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, I like that, but I don't know that I catch that. So I want to slow down there and maybe break that down just a bit. Jesus is giving us this instruction to let the light that's in us shine. And by the way, the light that's in you is Jesus. You carry the spirit of Jesus Christ in every aspect of your living. We have the opportunity to reveal the very light of heaven. Jesus is speaking to us and he gives us this instruction as we let our light shine, do it in such a way that men may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Well, first of all, I have to reconcile some teaching that I've received in the past. That you should do things and not let anyone see it. But Jesus is telling me, hey, do good stuff and let people see it. Let men see it. Let men see the good things that you're doing. But do it in such a way that they see God, not that they see you. We have such a wonderful opportunity as we devote our lives to tearing down the works of the devil and building up the kingdom of God, as we minister to people, as we see families grow and great things happen. It's a wonderful opportunity to testify of how awesome God is. And when we do that, that has a wonderful result. Jesus says, let your light shine in such a way that men see your works and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. If I take this verse and I run it backwards, I can come to the understanding that it becomes difficult, if not impossible, for people to glorify God unless they see good works. Let your light shine in such a way that men will see your good works and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, our passion and our goal and our our pursuits are to raise up people in Christianity and and see worship poured out and and see celebration of the Word of God. But I'm not so sure that that happens every time the worship team strikes up the band or every time we step in here and begin to uh, step into discipleship. I think that glorifying God is the result of us doing great things for people. We let our light shine in such a way That they see God's goodness and then glorify God. Now here's what this is going to require. If I want people to glorify God, if that's my ultimate goal, and how that happens is by letting my light shine in such a way that they see good works, that means I'm going to need something. I'm going to need light. How can I let my light shine in such a way that men see my good works and glorify God if I don't have any light to let shine? Was that somewhat of a riddle? It's a lot of words, that's for sure. How am I going to possibly let my light shine in such a way that men see my good works and glorify God if I don't have any light to let shine? Here's why light produces such a wonderful result. That wonderful result is people glorifying God. The reason why light can produce this wonderful result is because light does really awesome stuff. You can take a couple things down for your notes, John 1:5. John chapter 1 verse 5 is really the same thing we talked about with the kids here. Why isn't it dark in this room? Well, it's because the lights are winning. Light's victory over darkness. As long as those lights are on, darkness loses. And it's a wonderful thing to know that victory. I'll give you another passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 5. If you're writing these down for your notes, write down verses 8 through 13. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 13. It reads like this. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light, because the fruit of light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. It goes on to say, try to learn what's pleasing to God. Don't practice unfruitful things in darkness, but instead even expose them. It goes on to give us wonderful instruction. But then this is the passage that I want us to catch here in verse 13. Everything that becomes visible when it's exposed by the light, becomes light. It's the story of my life. The story of your life. There was a lot of darkness in my life. And when it became exposed by light, something happened. Now all of a sudden, all of the stories that used to testify of my destruction, all of the stories that used to testify of my death and my corruption, my weakness and my insecurity, now testify of His mercy, His grace, His goodness, His faithfulness, His power, His authority to set me free from all that garbage. That's your testimony. All of that stuff that used to be darkness gets exposed by the light and then it becomes light. That's why light leads people to glorifying God. Everything that's beating them down, hindering them, keeping them back, everything that is making life miserable all of a sudden becomes something that testifies of how great God is. It's a complete transformation. So when we let our light shine in such a way that men see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, I have to believe it's because these men that are now glorifying God have had their lives turned around. Where there used to be depression, they have joy, and they can testify of what God set them free from. Where there used to be anger, they have compassion. Where there used to be bondage and corruption, they have freedom and righteousness. And that is one awesome resulting glorification of God. I can just tell you from my own life, there's a lot of things that I've been exposed to that could easily become habitual. We can stand and praise and worship, you know. I want to be careful how I say this, but there are things that can become really routine. I'm not a big fan of conferences and seminars but I can kind of tell a little bit about a guy's church by his haircut. (laughs) You'll show up there and you'll be like, well, I know that guy and that guy and that guy all because of their haircut or whatever. It's just things that become so routine that you can see them a mile away. And I remember growing up and there's kind of the, the pastor sway in worship, you know, You've got some people on the front row that during a song are just almost doubled over and very, you know, demonstrative in worship, which is amazing and awesome. And then you've got the pastor who's kind of doing one of these. It's very easy to fall into those habits where you just have that look that goes with the part. And there are times where I'll break those habits all because I'll remember something. I don't even know if I can take the credit for remembering it. Maybe it's better to say the Holy Spirit will bring it to my mind. But there was a time when if I wanted to lift my hands, I'd have to do it like this. And now I can do it like this. And it's funny when I remember what all has become light in my life. It leads me to the point of glorifying God. I can lift my hands. I can spread them out wide. I can move my feet. I can celebrate your goodness. I can go eat wherever I want after church. And it's not a bologna sandwich in county lockup. I can glorify God because of what he's done in my life. So we need light. If we're going to lead people to glorify God, it's going to require us to let our light shine in such a way that they see our good works. In order for us to do that, we're going to need light. So I want to give you a light test, a little light test. Do I carry light? Now, some of you are going to absolutely hate this. Please don't hate me. You're welcome to hate this, but please don't hate me. I'm just the delivery boy. I got news for you. This one kind of stings a little bit in my life. I look at it and I think, oh my gosh, that's pretty revealing. But if we're going to need light in order to let light shine, in order to see people glorifying God, I think it's important for us to run this test. Not just once. Daily. Often. We ought to run this test. I'll give you a passage of Scripture. It's where we're going to find our light test today. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, I want to look at verses 14 and 15. Remember, we want to test ourselves here. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Here's how it reads Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, verse 15. So that. Can I get a so that from you? Amen. Yeah. See, so that now is revealing a result. Cause and effect. Here comes the effect. So that. So that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. So there's a whole generation that's described as crooked and perverse. But as we operate in this world, we stand out according to this verse. We stand out as lights in the middle of all of that junk and all of that garbage and all of that filth and all of that corruption. We stand out as lights. But that's the effect. So here comes the test. The beginning of this passage that we just read, in verse 14, do all things without grumbling and disputing, so that, so that you will appear as light in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. Here's where I need to test myself. Have I been complaining a lot? Have I been griping a lot? Have I been fussing a lot? Have I been disputing a lot? My wife is laughing at me. That's not fair to have your wife sit on the front row when you're preaching. Because the presence of complaining and the presence of griping and grumbling... Disputing is an indication that my light tank is low. Same way you have a fuel gauge on your car. You get in, you see it get to that E. If you're like me, it stays there a lot. I don't know why I do that. I just do. I think I want to be the only guy ever to have that bulb burn out. Burned it out. doesn't come on anymore. But griping, grumbling, disputing. Disputing is a word that we could look up, right? I mean, disputing involves conflict, argument. But do all things without grumbling and without disputing so that you'll prove yourself, children of God, above reproach. And in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation, you'll appear as light. So as we test ourselves, I think the question is, have I been griping? Have I been complaining? It's going to indicate that we are going to run low on light. If we're running low on light, then we can't let our light shine in such a way that men see it and then glorify God. And our actual end result, to fulfill a commission, to draw people into to Jesus Christ, that they might glorify Him, becomes hindered, if not completely corrupted. We've got to have light. So if I catch myself grumbling and complaining, it's an indication. It's not the end of the road. We can actually minister to this. We can do something about it. If I wanted to minister to complaint, which I'm well-versed in this. I have children. I can tell my children what's for dinner. And you might get, ah, uh, you know, something along those lines. And you know what? I catch myself ministering to them, not in anger, not in frustration, but just realizing what the problem is here. Here's the problem. The problem is you're not grateful for what we have. The problem is you want something we don't have, which is covetousness. So if I find myself complaining and grumbling, I know I need to get grateful. I need to stop Wanting what I don't have. And start wanting what I do have. I need to appreciate and value the things that God has brought into my life. I need to see them as more than sufficient. More than enough. His perfect provision in any circumstance, in any situation. And as gratitude and gratefulness increases in me, so does light. And before you know it, my light tank is full. And I can actually let my light shine in such a way that men can see good works in my life and glorify God. But it all requires light. I think if we were to walk away with anything today, if this group of people, this awesome, amazing, gorgeous <whistles> group of people, could walk away from here and say, you know, I'm committed to test myself, to see if I'm complaining, to see if I'm grumbling, and then respond to those complaints. By repenting for that attitude of ungratefulness and taking on the attitude of gratitude. Celebrating Thanksgiving. Not just for the sake of being grateful, which would be enough. But for the sake of being filled with light. So that we can let light shine. and So that we can see great things in men drawn to God to bring Him honor and glory. I want to move through the rest of this message a little on the quick side. If you're taking notes there, I'd like for you to write down a passage. You're welcome to turn there in your Bibles. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. I mentioned before we were going to find something as we reviewed the Scripture. What needs to stay clean? What needs to stay clean? We're going to find that out now here in Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 33 through 36. Remember, we're looking for light. We've got to have light. We can't lead anyone to glorify God if we don't have light to let shine. Luke chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Jesus is speaking here and He says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar or under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand so that everyone who enters may see the light. Now verse 34. The eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. But when the eye is bad, the body is full of darkness. He goes on to say, watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be fully illuminated as when a lamp illuminates you with its rays. Pretty interesting impartation from Jesus. It's very scientific even, getting into the physics of light with its rays. You're talking about a guy that normally speaks in parables and talks about you know, treasure in a field or a fishing net as an example. But here, it's pretty straightforward. He talks about our eyes and the importance of keeping our eye clean or clear. What we mentioned before as we were getting into the word was what needs to stay clean. If we need light in our lives in order to let our light shine, in order to see men drawn to God to glorify His name. We need to have light. That means we need to keep our eye clear. Keeping our eyes clear. According to what Jesus says there, when the eye is clear, the whole body is full of light. And it just shines out. The beams just shine out. But when the eye is not clear, Jesus says when the eye is bad, Darkness is in the body. So this ought to be something that's really worth thinking about. Not just here in church, you know, but even in your own time. It kind of explains a lot. Do you ever wonder why some of our enemy's strategies are what they are? Why there's so much temptation through visual engagement? You'll see God's design for marriage corrupted by pornography. You'll see adultery start with a glance and a look. You'll see all kinds of covetousness begin by watching a commercial. By seeing an ad. It starts with the eye. And it goes from the eye into the mind and the heart and all of a sudden I want that. I saw it. It looked good. And I want it. If that sounds familiar, you can go back to Genesis and look at the original sin and you'll see those same words. If you're not familiar with the story, you can find it there in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, if I recall right. That when what was not supposed to be touched or eaten, was touched and eaten, or eaten rather, excuse me, the word says that it was looked upon with the eye and it looked good. So then it was taken and consumed. If we can commit to keep our eyes clean, we can see our bodies filled with light. And as our bodies filled with light, we'll have light to let shine, to let shine in such a way that men see it and glorify God. And what a wonderful thing for a group of people to see in the scripture and say, I'm going to see that come to pass in my life. I'm going to take these words of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to ask him by the Holy Spirit to make them a reality in me. To keep my eye clear, to see my entire body full of light, so much so that it can't be contained, but it is shooting out of me like rays. I want that. I want that for all of us. There's something that has to happen, in my my opinion. And if you share that opinion after we look through the Scripture, then we'll be united on this front. It actually did take place in my life, but I want to see it in the Scripture. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. If you don't have your Bibles there but you're taking notes, jot it down look at it in your own time. Mark chapter 8. I want to read verses 22 through 25. Now you have this recorded piece of history here. This isn't a sermon being preached. This is an activity that's happening and it's being documented. Mark chapter 8 verses 22 through 25. Now they came to a place Now the they here is Jesus and his disciples and obviously the the crowd that followed him everywhere. If you ever just picture Jesus walking around with 12 guys, I think you're selling it short a little bit. Passages of scripture reveal that nearly entire cities would just follow him around until they actually had to go back to their families and their jobs. So this massive crowd that includes Jesus makes its way to a place It says that a blind man is brought to Jesus. And this blind man is asking Jesus to touch him. So now, verse 23 says taking the blind man by the hand, Jesus brought him out of the village, which would mean something. To take that blind man by the hand and then to take him out of the village, what's happening? Jesus is leading and he's following. Just like we read was necessary earlier. Isn't it amazing Jesus could have just touched him right there? You know what, i got a full schedule today. You can see the crowd here. Lots of people lined up for healing, so touch. But instead he grabs him by the hand and requires him to follow him. And he leads him outside of the city And then this is where it gets really awesome. And after spitting in his eyes, you don't see bumper stickers made of that scripture, right? Jesus gonna spit in your eye. Mark chapter eight. (laughs) Jesus spit in his eye. And he laid hands on him. And then Jesus asked him, Do you see anything? And the man looked up at Jesus and he said, I see men. I see men like trees walking around. And then it says something else here. Then it says, Then Jesus again. Again would mean what? I get it again, second time. So Jesus again laid hands on him. And it says, then he looked intently, he was restored, and he began to see everything clearly. If you are big on writing in your Bible, that's one that you might consider underlining. Because you see a process here. Jesus laid hands on him. And he said, I begin to see men like trees walking around. Jesus laid hands on him again. And he began to look intently, and it says he began to see everything clearly. Began to see everything clearly. Well, by all accounts, this man is healed. But there's something going on here that I want us to make note of, I want us to look at, to examine. Because I don't think Jesus was just having an off day at the altar. Well, laid hands on you, you get kind of a half job there, so let's give it another shot. I don't think that's how it works at all. Something's happening here. Something profound that is set as an example for me and for you. Jesus spits in his eye, lays hands on him and says, what do you see? He says, I see men like trees walking around. I want to give you a few passages of scripture for your notes. You can write these down. Psalm chapter 1 verse 3, a blessed man will be like a tree planted beside the river. Isaiah 55, verse 12. The trees of the field will clap their hands. Well, trees don't have hands. Matthew chapter 7 says that a tree is known by its fruit. God is referring to men and their deeds, their actions. Isaiah 61, verse 3. They, that's me and you, will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Jesus laid hands on this man and opened up the eyes of his spirit man to see things like God sees them. Behold, I see men like trees. I see men either bearing good fruit or bad fruit. Behold, I see men that God plants over by streams of water where their leaves will never wither, where they'll never droop but in everything they'll cast their fruit when it's time and they'll never fail. I'm starting to see things like God sees, that I see men like trees walking around right now. And I don't think Jesus thought, well, it didn't take. Let's try again. I think he thought, good. Now let's open your other eyes. And he laid his hands on him again. And the word says that he began to see things clearly think you and I are able to see things clearly at all until we have the eyes of our spirit open we deal with things in the world trial and tribulation we're led to fear and the bondage and the captivity that comes with anxiety and all of those things because we're not seeing clearly and there's something about this little story in the middle of Mark that I think carries such potential to liberate us from a bondage of blindness in our spirit, to see that there's a need to cry out for God, to open up the eyes of our spirit man to see things like God sees them. And then and only then will we be able to see things clearly in this world, to see past the lies and the deceptions, the threats. Because there's such a voice of adversity that's loud, that's angry. That's hurtful, venomous. It's poison. And it wants to keep believers in captivity and in bondage. The reality is that voice of adversity is a lie. And when we can see things the way God sees things, we can begin to see things clearly, realizing that that voice of adversity is an empty lie, the work of Satan. Satan. I remember a church service years ago. I was unmarried, so it was a long time ago. In fact, I had just been born again. It was, I was not very long born again. And in this church service, there were exciting things happening. It was a very large church. It was the church I would grown up in. And they would have these special services once a year. They said it wasn't routine that they really would seek God, you know, should we have it, should we not, but it seemed like, he always said, Yeah, do it. And then there was this one time I remember the pastor's son, who who had no desire to minister publicly, is a very strong Christian man, but but was not looking to, you know, uh, be his father's successor from the pulpit or anything like that. In fact, he worked in, in technology and things. But he he came up to the platform. And it was strange because that was very—I don't think it had ever happened before. And he said, the other day I was at the drive thru at the bank, and the line was really long. And as I was sitting there, I had a word from God concerning the service. And uh, he said, you know, God told me that He's going to heal people's eyes. So, does anyone here wear contacts or glasses? (laughs) It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, this auditorium held thousands of people, and I think like 80% of them stood up, you know. He said, well, you know, God was very clear as he revealed this to me, so I want, you know, they opened the altar, and there was not even close to enough room at the altar, so people were just kind of packed in the aisles. And here I am, I mean, I'm newly born again and just on fire for God. I've seen God set me free from horrible addiction and bondage and captivity of like literal and metaphoric, you name it. And that excitement, that awareness that, that, that this is real, was burning so hot in me I knew I'm going for that. Because I'd had terrible eyesight since I was a kid. I mean, I nearly killed a guy one time because I couldn't see him. I went to school and I was kind of a big kid. And they, the doctor, in order to treat my bad eye decided to put a patch over my good eye. So here's a kid that's got about 30 pounds on everyone else, and you cover up his good eye, and you let him go run at P.E. What do you think's going to happen? And then, of course, sports. Sports were always great. I wish coach would have told me, catch the ball in the middle. You know, because I always saw three of them coming at me, and then bam. But it was just kind of a goofy thing. I mean, I, I think I wore glasses... You could have taken the lenses out of my glasses and probably used them in the Hubble Space Telescope. Terrible eyesight as a kid growing up. So I hear this and I want well, I in on that. So I'm kind of pushing through the crowd and I'm realizing like the only way that I'm going to get down to the front is, you know, violence. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop right here because I know I'm in the middle of this crowd. And God's going to do it. And I'm pulling out my contact lenses that I have in and just throwing them on the ground. not going to need these anymore. And then they get done, they pray this corporate prayer because it's such a big crowd. I mean, it's just, you know, lots and lots of people. So they're, they're not ministering one at a time. So they pray a corporate prayer, you know, you know, and they dismiss everyone back to their seat. And I'm going back to my seat and I'm like, well, where's my seat? And now I'm thinking, well, has anybody seen a contact lens on the floor? Because I and I remember being a little disappointed. I was kind of frustrated. You know, you are also got to keep in mind, I'd just been born again in a radical way and had things that I hated in my life that were controlling me that I'd never been able to get rid of, just gone. So why not this? I remember getting back to my seat, you know, and I was just kind of flustered, not mad, not angry, I mean... But just kind of like, why, why, why is it still blurry? It was something that, you know, I carried through the church service there. We had the great church service. I'm going home. I remember just kind of conversing with the Holy Spirit. You know, why, why, why didn't that happen? What do I need to do? I just remember hearing, son, I'm healing your eyes. I was like, Yeah, I know. That's why I went down there. Son, I'm healing your eyes. Yeah, I know. That's why I pulled my contacts out. Son, I'm healing your eyes. Yeah, I get it. Son, I'm healing your eyes. And I realized there's something happening here that goes beyond my physical eyeball. And I felt a change in convictions, things that I would have been comfortable watching. I was no longer comfortable watching. Things that I would have been comfortable seeing I wasn't comfortable seeing. I'm not a big fan of shopping, but, you know, it ruins shopping because of all the ads and stuff like that. You're just the guy walking around bumping into everything because you're staring at the floor. Not out of any religious obligation or legalism, but because that makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that. And what's really amazing was this thing that had happened in my eyes, so to speak, had this effect that I never really even saw happening until the next time I went to the eye doctor. Went to the eye doctor, sit down in the chair, you know, it's like this one, this one, this one, this one, okay, this one. We get done with the appointment, you know, and eye doctor just scoots back in his chair, turns, and he's starting to write stuff, and he scoots back around, and he says something I've never heard in my entire life up to that point. Well, you got perfect vision. Excuse me, (laughs) doc. I've never heard that in my life. He said, well, your right eye is stronger than your left eye, but, but you're perfect perfect. He said, yeah, I'm going to give you a little light prescription for reading and low light stuff if you want that, but, you know. I just remember thinking, you healed my eyes. Here's a man that Jesus laid his hands upon and he began to see things as God saw them. Jesus lays his hands on him a second time and he begins to see everything else clearly. And I think for us in this room, There's something we can take from this. To realize that Jesus came to give sight to the blind. It doesn't necessarily mean that they lined up all of the blind people. Just like we would sing if we sang Amazing Grace. I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. There's an opening up of eyes inside our heart that can equip us to see things absolutely clearly. I want to give you our closing passage here. I'd mentioned what's good for the heart it was going to be one of the things we were going to find. Ephesians chapter five. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter one, excuse me. Ephesians chapter one. I want to read verses 15 through 19. It's a lot of reading, so stick with me. Paul's writing and he says, For this reason, I've heard of your faith. I've heard that it exists among you, your love for the saints. Don't stop giving thanks, as I don't stop giving thanks for you. I make mention of you in my prayers. That God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, here's where I want us to pay very close attention in verse 18. And I pray. You've got to understand, Paul is the apostle to these men and these women that he's writing to. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Enlightened. Have light put in them. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So that... Can I get another so that? Now here's the result of having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So that... So that you will know one, the hope of His calling. Two the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Three, what the surpassing greatness of his power is toward us. When we have the eyes of our heart opened up, it's then and only then, based on what Paul writes here, that we can come into an understanding of his calling us. You need to understand something about that, and I'm going to move very quick here. That absolutely eliminates all inferiority and all insecurity. That we can have the hope of His calling us means that we can put our trust in this fact that He chose you. You didn't just sign up for Christianity and there's a chance you're not going to make the cut. That He selected you, He chose you. We have a saying in my house, what you choose is what you love. That's why it's so powerful that Jesus would stand before the disciples and say you didn't choose me, I chose you. That's not an insecure moment in Jesus where he's wanting to, you know, bully these guys. Hey, listen now, keep in mind I'm in charge. You didn't choose me, I chose you. But what he's revealing to them, guys, I love you so much, I choose you. Don't worry about trying to strive for my attention or my affection. Let all of that insecurity and all of that garbage just melt away by this simple truth. I choose you. We can come into that understanding when the eyes of our heart are enlightened. The next thing, the riches and the glory of His inheritance and in the saints. We can actually have an understanding of His kingdom here on the earth. I think there's a shortage of that, even though it's become really trendy to speak of and sing of and write books of heaven on earth. I think there's still a large number of believers that are waiting for heaven, desiring something to happen one day. But when we have the eyes of our heart opened up, we can see it happening right now the process that brings it into existence, the fullness as it comes into existence. and the provision that God makes through it. And then that last thing, that surpassing greatness of His power toward us. I've faced a number of situations that could easily be labeled problems, difficult. Some would have even used the word impossible. But it's always been interesting When those words were being thrown around, to not be afraid. To have the eyes of my heart opened up and to be aware of God's power toward me. The same God that can split the Red Sea and see an entire nation pass through. And then not only that, swallow up all of their enemies so they never have to look over their shoulder again. That same power is toward me, poured out over me, through me, around me, toward you, poured out over you, through you, around you. When we have the eyes of our heart opened up, as we live out our lives, just like that blind man, we can then for the first time begin to see things clearly. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to give up. I don't have to lose hope. I don't have to give in and just declare it's over. It's not over. I can't lose if I don't quit. And I want to see God open up the eyes of our heart to be enlightened. Pastor Jerry, if you'd come up here, I want to ask you to stand with me. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information please visit us at champschurch.com